podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today I'm joined by Stephanie Gray. Stephanie is an illustrator who runs her own business called Earl and Meyer, where she makes really beautiful greeting cards and gifts. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I've been very excited to come in. It's really great to chat to you. I have so many questions. Oh, good. <laughs> you have been doing markets for quite a while now. How many years have you done you know, market I think stalls? I think it's actually been five or six years now. Five or six years. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to throw your, cast your mind back. If you think about the first, the very first market that you did and you've got all of your gifts and wares and you kind of, everything's packed in the car <laughs> and then you pull up and you're just about to get out of the car and set everything up. How are you feeling? Oh my God. The same as now. My heart's really beating fast. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I think I probably would have been looking at the sky and being like, oh, is it going to rain? Would I know how to deal with that? I was also probably looking for my friends because on my first market stall ever, it was at Glebe around the corner. And there were three of us and we were all um, aspiring artists or devoted artists. Um, and we were sharing the cost of it together and sharing the stall together. And it was a really, um, yeah, I was kind of keeping an eye out for one of my friends to see where they were. And just, I think I was just excited. I wanted the day to be over and to begin as soon as possible. Cause okay. You know, it was a, there was a lot of feelings actually. Yeah. Is there any kind of, because is that the first time that you had, so I presume you'd be doing the artworks and the drawing in this style for for a while before you did your first market stall. Was there any yeah. kind of thought that it's a bit scary because this is like you're releasing it, it's your baby, you're releasing it out to the world for the first time? Yeah, I suppose it's always nervous when you have something to put into the world and you you want to know how it's going to be received. You know, test that reception to something that's natural for you to create. Because that's at the beginning, it's in its purest form. It's just what what comes out, and it's um. I think, especially if you haven't studied art, there hasn't been there hasn't been any um input. I hadn't really had much feedback on it from mm, anyone, so sure. it was um, yeah, it was very very pure in that sense. Um, and you know, <laughs> I look back at what I was selling on that day, and I think I I don't know if I'm selling anything that okay. I sold six years ago. I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's um, kind of a continual process of expansion and refinement and it is based on the reception that what you're selling gets from, from the from the customers and the traffic. Because it's yeah. such a direct form of feedback. Well, yeah, it's it is. People telling you that they love this thing and... Yeah. Because uh, I guess you can look at analytics online from your website as much as you want, but it's nice to actually talk to a person. It is really nice. It, I think that's my favourite part is talking to anyone who's just picked up any greeting card, which I think is why it's really fun to have a really interesting and diverse collection because you get so many different conversations with different people mm. and they'll pick one up and they'll say, oh, my best friend loves cows. I just have to, I'm going to buy this for her because she loves cows, but why is it shopping? And it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> that leads to a bigger context and story. Do you have time? And then you get to do this over and over and again across the day, you know, as long as you have lots of stories to all your characters, it kind of depends, yeah, what you're, what you're creating and what you're building. But So could you could... You mentioned that you had a transition. So from all the wares that you had on that day, mm. it's basically a different suite, a different gamut now. Could you concisely describe what has changed or is it a series of small changes? 
it has definitely been a series of small changes, but there have been some big defining points in the journey. So I used to draw people and the urban environment a lot more. It was, yeah, it was, it was mostly that when I, when I started and, you know, I would draw the things around me. Um, and then gradually, I think I fell in love, I've always loved music and I drew this range of musical instruments. And uh, I was making playing cards at the same time and a custom, well, people kept asking, customers kept asking, when are you going to do a playing card pack about music? And I sort of thought, wow, I, I would really like to, but I think just the instruments by themselves on a playing card pack might be not dry, but maybe not enough to reach everybody. Mm. Um, and then suddenly I had this brainwave and was like, wow, you know what? Africa has enough animals that I could like make a whole African orchestra themed pack of cards. Um, and so I started drawing these animals playing instruments and it was really fun to start um, kind of matching up which animal belonged with which instrument and how you categorize animals into four different groups. Mm. And um, it was really just the best response to anything I'd ever made, you know, and just to see people walk by the store see this ridiculous collection of animals, you know, like a zebra on the bassoon or whatever, and they would just point at it and they would just laugh and they'd grab their friend and they'd point at it. And I think I just loved that, how it made them want to engage with someone else. It made them, it was an easy buy for some people because they're like, this is perfect. It's a thank you card for my child's music teacher or, you know, I'm going to give it to my husband because he played the guitar for a long time. And, you know, it was, um, it was a really obvious change in how I can engage with somebody and the the joy and delight that was immediately recognized by someone looking at something for the first time. Mm. And so basically since then, I've just drawn more and more animals and now they're starting to interact with each other and portray more real life situations that we experience as humans. And then that's kind of building as well. So people will recognize the little scenarios that are happening on the cards and they'll feel something with that too. So it's um, it's definitely becoming nice to have a, a big story with everything and, and that was a, a big thing that changed since i like the ones mm. of the animals that are in love <laughs> <laughs> i like drawing animals they're in super love. cute <laughs> um it sounds like you had a eureka moment yeah i think it was but actually i made it just after i met my fiance um i'm not sure why it was just and so now i always think those animals are serenading me okay yeah um but i think i love drawing love I, and i love love <laughs> <laughs> you love drawing love there should be more Love in all forms, platonic love, familial love. Well, they say there's seven types of love, right. I think. The Greeks? I'm learning Greek today. I don't Greek? know about that. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you more because I'm sure I wouldn't be exactly correct in what I said. But I know there's a few different types um, and and it's really interesting. And they're, and they're all valuable and we need we need lots of them, mm. I think. And you saw that that's what people responded to because it's such a, yeah, as I said, like a direct feedback. I kind of felt that... I think when I first was introduced to the concept of supply and demand, mm. where you have like a curve, what the store wants you to pay and what the customer wants to pay, and then at some point they cut, and then that's mm. the price. When oh. I went to the supermarket, after I found out about that, I thought about like every sticker that had a price and like that graph underneath mm. it, because that's kind of what's happening. But you, that's in a supermarket where some suits in an office decide what the price is. Mm. But you are kind of seeing commerce in a much more personal way. Has it changed your understanding of economics? Being, having such a close interaction with the customer and seeing it's really supply and demand, just you're observing it basically. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. I think... Um 
I think everybody values, everybody gets pleasure from different things. So some people really enjoy buying something for themselves or decorating, you know, it's easy for them to justify something that brings them pleasure, will uplift them, put it on the wall, $6, $15, that's not a big purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'll be some people who love gifting and they love gifting because they love seeing the look on someone's face that they know is going to enjoy it. And so they'll easily justify it. And then there are people who I'm not sure what they're looking for. And, and, and there are people who I feel like I can't please them with what I make, but they must find their joy in something else. I think everybody has less money, well, that I can see. People have less money now than they've had previously. I, I Over the last six years, I really do think that I've created and refined and um, I think I have more on offer. And the business is growing, but it's, um, yeah, I, I think definitely we're, we're feeling something now where like people are maybe more worried about other things they really have to be, be wary of financially. Do you think that people are attending markets less than they were six years ago? Hmm. No, I think they mm. are still attending markets. I think there are more markets now than ever. Okay. Like every month, every year, mm. more markets, more. And I think that's nice because I think they build a sense of community. And I think really the more the better. I think we're quite a small arts community here. And I think, yeah, the the more people making something unique instead of buying something. I think that's really, that's really powerful. I think that's what we should all be heading towards. Mm. To, yeah. And I feel as though I have, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, I've kind of gone through a bit of an awakening, awakening as well about the idea of, I guess, yeah, valuing something that has been made with purpose rather than something that's mass produced and supporting local artists or anyone producing anything locally. And I don't know, I guess my perception was that that is reflected in society at large, but I'm not sure if it's just my understanding broadening or whether it is actually reflected in society at large Mm. where more people are willing to go to a market because they're starting to think okay maybe i'm not that interested in the commercial machines of going to uh department store x (laughs) (laughs) and grabbing all the things i need from one shop sure yeah out of bargain out of steel yeah do you have a take on that about a shift or perception in within society is Ooh, it's difficult because, you know, I I feel very passionately that people should shop smaller. Mm. And um, I think it's a really nice... I think when you compare go the feeling of going to a shopping center, which is, I don't know, there are, people have nightmares about shopping centers, you know. Um, Some of the stores, <laughs> the lighting is crazy. Yeah. You go to a Westfields, it's like you're under a police examination by going into the store. <laughs> yeah, but they're convenient, you know, they are convenient. You know, you can park, there's aircon. we live in a hot country. Going to a market, how do you get there? And um, there's definitely no aircon. not all of them, you know, are blessed with trees and shade and things like that. So mm-hmm. I get that there's, um, it's more difficult, but it's the feeling, I think you're, you feel free when you're at a market and you're looking at things and you're meeting the people who are really making them and people who do sell what they make, they really put a lot into them. Mm. And you can have a really nice talk with somebody and find out about the reason behind why they made it. And that's, um, you can't get that at a, at a shopping center. And I think what market offers is much closer to what humans have evolved with over the last, you know, 70,000 years. You know, it wasn't, um, wasn't anything like what we experience now going into Westfield. It was trading and it was carving and making things and swapping and 
you, you know, your community was precious to you 200, you know, 200 years ago. You had to be nice. You had to be tactful. Sure. <laughs> Maybe we're losing tact. Yeah. That's the problem with society. Yeah, and, and we're losing grip on what the emotional value of something is, mm. I think. When you said that, it almost made me think about, it's kind of like the contrast between Spotify and then going to a record store and talking mm. to someone who loves, I don't know, the Stooges or something. They really love the music and they'll talk to you and it's a really personal interaction. You mm. can listen to it on Spotify, but it's not as enriching. Yeah, it's true. I think music is something that's supposed to be shared, like word of mouth, person to person. This made me feel something. Mm. You try it. Does it make you feel something? Mm. You know, I I get that. My My partner really... Yeah, I think he really understands that about music and I envy anyone who really devotes himself to it because it's not just, you know, you can be the recipient of that. Someone can say, oh, I love this, try this. Um, but if you're the person who's constantly seeking and discovering these these beautiful pieces of music or these moods, these genres, and then you're sharing them, that's a really special thing to give the world mm. or to give people you know. Commerce Update. If you would like to check out and maybe buy something from the Erlenmeyer Art Collection, you should check out the link in the podcast description. So somehow through the majesty of the internet, the link that we've got there in the podcast description, it actually already has a discount code applied. So you can go online and buy the greeting cards or tote bags or art prints for 20% off the already very reasonable prices. You should go and check it out. I have a very tangible <laughs> tote bag here. I would like to talk about sustainability and how you think think about that or from your like business approach is it something that you're very conscious of with all the like materials or the way that the things are actually printed are you <clears throat> pardon me are you thinking about that and is that also I guess I'm trying to get into the sense of what people at markets are thinking is there more of a ripple of thinking about sustainability at markets than what then maybe was five years ago or do you think that that kind of uh, crowd has always been thinking about that and it's more the department stores which have the problems well I don't know about the comparison with department stores mm. but um, I would say that generally the market community is quite aware of um, of a natural way of things you know and of not creating too much rubbish and you know not spending too much um, money or time on developing things that just get thrown away mm. i think we're trying to fight disposability actually as a as a whole industry um i know that i certainly put into practice with with my own business so when i'm designing a new item i think i want to make sure it's so nice of such high quality in terms of the actual product itself in terms of you know i hold myself i try to hold myself to a high standard for illustration so that it doesn't um you know, it doesn't lose its value. Somebody could, it's a greeting card, but it's nice enough that you could keep it for a long time, mm. um, long after the occasion it was used for. Um, I make a calendar that you don't throw away. You Once you've finished using it, you can cut it in half, and then every single page that you've had becomes, um, becomes two prints, and then you've got 12 prints to put in frames and keep and put in frames and give away to people. So it becomes, ah, right. you know, I'm trying, I do try in my own 
design from the design aspect i try to design things that have um a, a, a longevity to them as mm. a product and then of course with packaging you know you try to stay with paper and not plastic our playing cards they're not plastic they're linen coated and they're paper core and it's better for the environment and you know it's better than a plastic playing card. sure you know don't pour wine all over it but even a plastic card doesn't want wine poured all over it but um sorry for that <laughs> disruptive <laughs> no it, it's a reasonable observation don't pour wine on cards <laughs> yeah. um no i think um it's really important we should all be yeah trying to improve our footprint um, mm. and lower our impact. That's interesting that you're thinking about it, not just the actual sustainability of the materials, but before you even like begin the design, yeah. you're wanting it to be something that has longevity is the word you used. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, I, I really I really think that's important. There's a lot of stuff that gets made, um, you know, bought for 30 cents and then sold on for $6 mm. and then thrown away. Mm. You know, and it's it's really sad. That's what landfill is, and is we shouldn't be creating that. Landfills are the worst. Yeah. I went to a tip a few months ago. Oh yeah. It's just the worst place in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder what proportion of this, the crap that's at the tip is unwanted gifts that yeah. was designed without longevity in mind. Oh well, have you seen the film The Grinch? The The Grinch with Jim Carrey. Yeah, he does a beautiful little um, well little monologue about that well okay. actually i guess it's a conversation between him and his dog max something about yeah he was just upset that things get thrown away mm. okay <laughs> we <laughs> should listen to jim carrey's <laughs> advice <laughs> oh we definitely should yeah very entertaining very true mentioned earlier about the idea you kind of had this like eureka moment where you started to draw animals and then coupling the animals to the instruments and people were really interested in that but my understanding is that so these are kind of animals that are on prints or they're on greeting cards or the calendar but you have plans to expand almost like this universe can you tell us a bit about the the vision for Erlenmeyer? Yeah, definitely. That would be my favorite thing to talk about. Okay, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think, well, one of the most interesting things about getting to see the response from people to the characters uh, at the markets um, and in shops is that I get to see which characters jump out to people. So, ultimately, I'd like all the characters to feature in books and children's books and, you know, all sorts of things later. But um, we we are basically building a world and it has a history and a law and we've been writing it slowly over the last couple of months. When I say we, I mean me and my fiancé, Joe, who has played an enormous role in kind of the stories and the narratives um, and the backgrounds of the characters. Um, but it is exciting to see where all the characters are going to go and it's really fun to, to, fill, to fill out each, each character's little narrative and their, yeah, and their backstory. When you first mentioned that to me, my initial thought was Tolkien, because oh, I really love yeah. the Silmarillion. Can you tell us about, when you say you're developing the lore of yeah. Erlen Meyer, can you go give us more details? Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> I would really love to. Okay, so, I mean, it's a little bit apocalyptic, but not, not okay, more like dystopic, because apocalyptic sounds terrible. Okay. Humans end up really happy. So what happens is, 
um, obviously we're using up the Earth's resources, but alongside that, the technology is getting you know pretty pretty fancy, um, and we are eventually able um, and decide to unanimously ascend into a virtual reality, and uh, we do this by going to like some sort of matrix style sort of pod system under the ground that we build because we find some way to sustain us, and the plan was to be like a hundred thousand years, but. To be honest, 100,000 years elapsed and we just kind of had another big group meeting as humans and we're like, no, nah, let's just stay in here forever. Alongside this, obviously the Earth is reclaiming all that we've left behind on the surface. You know, anything that's crumbling, it's going to fall apart. But these beautiful old stone buildings, the pyramids, anything with, you know, designed with beauty, they've lasted. And so the animals kind of become a little more sentient. They start sort of building. This is like now 700,000 years you know, of humans being cool underground and animals becoming slowly more intelligent. And then eventually they start sort of rebuilding these communities. And so all these like major cities across the globe become kind of Erlenmeyer hubs, like city hubs. Um, but I would say 70% of all the animals on earth are still very wild animals. And then like 30% have kind of decided they want to live in like a little metropolis with other animals in harmony. Yeah, so that's kind of where it's going and, you know, we can go in, we've been talking about their commerce, their economy, a bit of bit like, especially like the um, world system and the power system and who kind of manages it, because obviously there are things to be managed. Yeah, I don't know if you have any questions so, <coughs> on where you want to go from there. Well, it's <laughs> more, so it's really looking at what would happen to the world, to Earth, mm -hmm. if the human element was removed. Yeah. How would it recover? Oh, it just will. It and just definitely will. And how will the animals then interact? How do you choose which animals get to be sentient beings? Well, they all have the opportunity to be sentient. I mean, I think what we decided is that there is kind of like an earth spirit and it, it, it sort of is in control. They were, The earth spirit's kind of in control even before us. You know, they were like, hmm, humans are going to come on the scene and they're going to kind of make a mess of things. But then they're going to figure out a solution for them that takes them away before the earth is actually destroyed mm. and the earth is going to heal and then the animal is going to come in and have their like second rising or like the second era of sentient beings on earth and um yeah and they're going to have a really good time and the earth's going to find a natural balance that can they'll just be a really nice positive uplifting world that yeah has harmony how are you going to convey this world you're making children's books with yeah. illustrations or have you well, started on that or you're mainly <gasps> oh we have so <laughs> many plans um, oh right okay so the two things that happen almost every single day that uh we trade or we set up a shop somewhere is people will say wow it's it's like a whole world which i love when people say that because it's very much how we feel and then the second thing they ask is do you write children's books so i'm like well yeah I'm going to combine them. Mm. So the first book we're, made in, we're make, going to make is um, more of an overview of how the world really works. And it's narrated by our little mascot who's on our logo, who's a, a little raccoon. Mm. Except for this book, he's kind of going to be an old raccoon with like a beautiful old kind of beard. Um, and he's got a little walking stick and he's going to be great. And he's going to kind of talk you through how Erlen Mai got started and, and how it works and how it operates. And it's going to be illustrated with pictures, some that... I've already got and then some that I'm going to make new to yeah better explain and illustrate how the world works and then once this little book exists this guide this little raccoon's guide 
I think I'll start making proper children's books um, and they'll focus on some of the characters that are the most dear to me or are the most widely appreciated um, and then we'll kind of build from there and you know hopefully later there'll be a really big um, kind of like an encyclopedia I had this amazing Narnia book and it like had all seven stories of um, the um, author who wrote Narnia mm. let's do it C.S. Lewis mm. right? Um, and it was illustrated and it just had them all together. And I was like, oh man, it was so beautiful. It had this golden ribbon and it's like, it was a hardback with like a beautiful spine. And I was like, I want to make something like that one day. That's kind of what I'd love to make for Erlenmeyer in like 30 years time. And it will just have so many stories and they'll all be connected. And yeah, it'll be this, it'll give these messages of looking after the earth and being all the important things that I think that we're sort of losing touch with now as a society because it's not focused on enough. It'll be all about that, subtly. So there's a, me- yeah, there's a, me- as you just said, subtly. So there's kind of a <laughs> message underneath. But is it exclusively pitched to children? No, I would say not. I mean, I would really like it if adults, well, the adults appreciate the humour of it. It's all a bit silly and it's quite tongue-in-cheek. Um, but I think adults want to share with children what they approve of. You know, and ultimately when you're selling a product, you're selling it to an adult normally. Mm. Um, so it has to be, yeah, I think it has to strike a chord with, with adults too. Um, you know, much like Roald Dahl and Quentin Blake, you know, that was, I read Boy and Going Solo like last month and they, they're amazing. They're amazing books. He was an amazing, an amazing writer and it doesn't matter if it was mainly aimed at adolescent boys. <laughs> I loved that book. Mm. So I, I hope that, I think that would be my, my goal to, to try to, to do anything like that. What kind of, I have lots of questions. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so in terms of like the time frame, I guess you haven't written a book, like a child's book before. How long does it take to go from having this very bubbling seed of an idea to like having a product or we're about to find out? <laughs> I think... Because this first um, raccoon's guide to Ellen Meyer isn't going to be super elaborate, I would say I could get that done in the next sort of six months. It's going to be my primary project. Right, okay. Um, and then, you know, it takes about six months to make a pack of playing cards. It's about 150 hours of drawing and then, you know, <laughs> about like three months of lead time and definitely a month of sort of editing and faffing around, mm-hmm. sourcing various parts of it. Um so I, I think six months is a good turnaround time for, for anything for me. I tend to get very uh, inspired. So if I'm writing something, I will write it in, in a week and I will go over it and over it. And I might make small changes later um, after I've run through it with a lot of people uh, that I trust. And with customers too, you know, to get that really organic response to it. Mm. Um, and then once I feel like, yeah, the words are perfect, then I will start working on those illustrations um, that kind of go with it. Yeah, I think I don't... I think... Um, I think it'll all happen quite quickly once once it's all my focus. And it's going to be really exciting to see the world blossom because you have so many ideas. Yeah, I can see so many in my head. I just I wish I could just share them just like that, but yeah. you know, it, but it's a process. It's definitely a process. Yeah, it, it takes time. Um If it was easy to do, everybody would do it. Yeah. It's not true. easy to do. It's a long hard slog and yeah. you're the one oh, who's going through. It. <laughs> everybody should try to do it. If you if anybody has an idea, I think of just something that's just you know, flutters across their mind, 
I think it's very healthy to attempt to get it down in some way mm. and just to compare it with what you saw in your mind and not compare it with how good somebody else could do it. It's just the satisfaction will come from you envisioning it and then you executing it. Mm. And then you just compare, like, if you try to do the same thing three months later after, draw after drawing, like, everything on your desk every single day, you'll see that you'll have executed your idea better, you know? And then you do that every year and you, you look back across, you know, your um, history of what you've created and, and you will see progress. It's the mm. same, I'm sure, for music. Mm. I hope. I think <laughs> it looks, yeah, I, you know, there's progress with every skill. It is time for the segment, Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to tell me something about one of them. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, poetry, punk rock, Patti Smith, death, and politics. So, Steffi, yeah. can you please tell me a thing? It's a, it's a really nice list, but I'm, I'm going to pick politics, but I'm going to try not to get too dark with it and I'm going to... I hope it's okay. I'm going to take us back into Erlen Meyer really quickly because I'm really proud of um, the world order that we've kind of brainstormed for Erlen Meyer and, and it touches on politics a little. So basically how Erlen Meyer will be run instead of governments formed from politicians that you can't trust. We've got a council of 12 and this council of 12 is 12 species, four species per sect. So a sect would be the water world, the air world or the earth world. So, for example, the water council members are the manta ray, the turtle, the carpfish, and the walrus. The turtle is an example um, on my Instagram right now, which is Turtle Santa. And so he is the one who's responsible for Christmas, which is awesome. Ah, oh, Turtle um, Santa. Turtle Santa. It's <laughs> on my Instagram. He's super fun. He's got, like, um, this little reindeer collection, but they're seahorse. Uh, seahorses. Yeah, they're really cute. I love them. Um, and then for the air, you've got a penguin, an owl, an albatross, and a parrot for the earth section you've got an elephant a komodo dragon a panther and a rabbit so each of these council members are responsible for um kind of they have different roles in my society but for example the panther is like the anti-corruption watchdog panther so like he makes sure that no one's making too much money and getting like greedy because it's supposed to be like a utopia um and basically how so all these species like each of the four have a different lifespan and when one of them is approaching the end of their lifespan, a new little baby of that species is born and it has a little special mark, kind of like the Buddhist um, sort of um, teachings. Um, and so that little baby with a little mark, all the animals know what that is and it gets brought to um, that um, council member and then he gets trained to take over. And so they're the people who are responsible for managing it and they're really into looking after the animals. It's all about the animal's well-being and it's, it's very well-managed and I think that's what I wish we could live in as humans instead mm -hmm. of, yeah, the, the sort of nightmare that, we're, um, that we face with our political systems here. You put so much thought into the organization. It made <laughs> me think when you mentioned Buddhism. So from the Silmarillion, they have uh, 12 of the Order Valar. And a lot of the demigods are based on existing mythologies, like Greek mythology, for example. Yeah. Uh, Manwai. Have you... Is that so with the animals that you've chosen? Is that based on other existing mythologies, or it's kind of 
it's really just sat down and thought about it. I think we wanted to pick um, animals that looked a little different to each other, but um, that could represent all the different... Um, I don't know. I like breaking things down. So if you think about all the water animals, you've got to have one that's a bit flappy like a manta ray, and you have to have one that's a bit more like a predator. And, you know, you have to have some predator, some prey. It has to... They have to be representatives of everything, just mm. like in politics. You know, you have to have MPs who are representing the different demographics and where they're from and in touch with the local issues. And that's very much what I want for these little council members from the Council of Twelve. I, They have to, you know, they have to um, be able to be in touch with each other. And, yeah, they've got to look after the animals. That's the whole point. And they mm. do. That's the nice thing about Ellen Meyer is I get to make it and I get to say they're succeeding. Yeah, there's no ambiguity. If you read Ellen Mai, you're going to be pleased. It's going to be a utopia. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a little escape. I think that's the most powerful thing about creating something, whether it's music or art or performance. It's you're kind of you can provide an escape for people to just enjoy what an ideal thing might look like. Mm. And I I try to make that. I that's really my my goal, and I feel it's my duty. The, maybe the message is that everything goes smoothly when there's no people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hang out with animals. Buy pets. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go into nature. Stevie, thank you so much for joining me on Tour CR. It's been a, a pleasure having a chat to you about something that you're so passionate about. Thank you. I've, I've just had a lovely time. I feel so spoiled and indulged getting <laughs> to talk about it. I hope everyone's enjoyed it. And you're a wonderful interviewer. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome back anytime. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs>